1: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined by my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we're going to dive into the Giants world of rookie undrafted free agent signings. We promised this pod was coming. We've now had time to dive into these players a little bit and talk prospects. We're also going to talk a little bit about some Giants news. Uh today Head coach Joe judge had a conference call with giants beat reporters to talk about a lot of things, logistics of the upcoming season, potential logistics or training camp coming up. Obviously OTAs out the window as, as of now, normally we would have had rookie camp, things of the like. Instead, Joe judge talked a little bit about the virtual meetings he's had with some of the players and some of that. Um, and talked a little bit about what we can expect to see from the offense and from the defense. Remember a new coordinator on both sides of the ball. So Things are going to look a little bit different. So let's start there, Nick. Um, but before we start there, I want to get a little bit of an update in the world of Nick Villato. A lot of people actually surprisingly enjoyed the the, the tequila talk from last podcast. They, they really scoffed at the fact that you would even consider drinking Jim Beam vanilla at any point. The fact that it's in your house and not poured down the drain. Just how did it get there? Did you buy it once? There's a lot of questions that came from that podcast. But what, what else is new? Anything? Well guys,
3: I'm not, I'm not a proud man. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, like I bought the thing, I knew what it was. I saw the discounted price tag on it. And I said, you know what, man, I, I could stomach this. I could stomach this. You know, young Nick Filato, young Nick Falato would go out and buy travelers club vodka the thing was like 16 bucks for an entire handle. So, you know, I've never been one for the, uh, the finer things when it comes to the taste. It's just, you know, what's the end goal here is the end goal to have a good time and get messed up. I'll go that route. Now that I'm a little bit older, I don't, but you know what? I was feeling nostalgic. Went the Jim Bean Vanilla route. That's the case of that. Everything else, though? <laughs> everything else, Dan and everybody? I mean, it's it's going well here. Just the same old uh, stuff. Just uh, enjoying grinding some tape, getting uh, familiarized with these undrafted free agents that we're about to talk about.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, when you when I hear the word Travelers Club Vodka, it reminds me of a time back when I was still in college. I think it was 19 years old at the time. Shout out Robin Gold, one of my buddies from high school. Invited me down to Rutgers. I was home on break from school at Wisconsin. And we, and he was having a party at his house, at, you know, they had a house, they were off campus, he was having a party, and I remember just before the party, they took out a bunch of bottles of Traveler's Club vodka, and they poured the Traveler's Club vodka into empty bottles of Grey Goose, and then when the girls came over for the party, it was like nothing ever happened, I still to this day don't really know how they pulled it off fully, and how no one ever figured it out, but it was genius, it was pretty genius to be honest manipulative sociopath but it's all yeah. good
3: man. yeah <laughs> no, there's I other su- words
1: that could probably be more aptly descriptive for what it was but I- <laughs> i'll just take genius for that I- i'll give him his credit words do uh, uh but i fully support it though dan fully support it <laughs> yeah <laughs> listen it was it was an interesting move but you know i just had a good night in quarantine nick i made i made homemade i guess not homemade i didn't butcher the cow but i made hamburgers uh cheeseburgers in my apartment for the first time i I'd never done that before i like kind of Uh, hand-formed the patty with a little bit of chuck and brisket and and ground beef and made smash burgers which was awesome because like that style in my opinion of cooking burgers definitely better style on the cast iron a shit ton of butter and caramelized onions which also require a ton of butter so i'm pretty sure i consumed a full stick of butter tonight so definitely not good for the health the health has been really going downhill since quarantine for me um but you know I enjoyed it. So sometimes just it's it's about being happy, Nick.
3: Your arteries are probably clogging up as we record this podcast, but you know what? It's it's all good because it tasted well. It tasted good, you know. It was a fantastic (laughs) cheeseburger. But let's talk Giants football, Nick, because
1: that's what the people are here for. We'll talk a little bit about the press conference today, or I guess it's conference call is the better way to say it, um, between Joe Judge and some Giants beat reporters, because some interesting things I thought he said. The most interesting thing to me was he answered the question about what to expect from the Giants' offense this year. Remember last season with Daniel Jones in his rookie year and Pat Shermer, we saw a very specific scheme. It had West Coast principles, but it wasn't a full West Coast offense. We saw a mix of what he learned with Chip Kelly, and we saw different concepts. But more so for me, what I saw, what really, what I would say would define Pat Shermer's passing game, and you could tell me if you think differently here, Nick, was a combination of two things. Halffield, high-low, Reed's, and Mesh concept. Now, as far as that goes, do you see? did you also see a lot of that, or do you feel like that was kind of a good way to, to really sum up the, the core tenets of what Pat Shermer was trying to do?
3: I think the half-field reads and the high-low reads, definitely, because they really operated uh, out of the quick game, which was something Daniel Jones did at Duke with David Cutcliffe, and it really, he really had success there, given the talent around him was not up to par with what the uh, ACC had. But Mesh concepts are just, they're, they're common in a lot of different... Everyone's- uh, Right, yeah, yeah, they're they're common in a lot of different offense, so I fair. wouldn't really include that in there, but the half field reads quick game, get the ball out. Yeah. If you uh, if it's not open deep, just dump it down to that check down or that, you know, uh, tight end who's running that quick hitch or that snag route over the middle of the field which we saw so many damn times. It was more uh, along those lines than I would say the mesh, but the mesh was definitely, you know, a uh, big part of that offense as well.
1: But to be fair, they move the ball pretty well from a passing standpoint all things considered, especially, you know, looking back at what some of the struggles the Giants had to move, moving the ball from a passing game standpoint with Eli Manning during the latter years of McAdoo. And that was a very different offense. And And so as we move forward, I think that it was a quarterback-friendly offense for Daniel Jones. And I think that that was important for him. And I think you should kind of always have a quarterback-friendly offense. I'm not saying that won't be the case with Jason Garrett. And what concerns me a bit, Nick, is that while, you know— Judge said there will be some cousin concepts like there are in every offense. He said there's absolutely no carryover from last year's offense in any way, shape, or form as they move forward. And he said what Jason Garrett will bring to the Giants from an offensive standpoint is a combination of what he did in Dallas, but also what he's learned along the way. So for me, I'm a bit concerned. I know a lot of people are like, is a smart kid. He went to Duke. He was going to go to Princeton. He can pick it up, stop coddling him. But it's not really about being smart or not smart. It's about... He got used to a certain way of football with Pat Shermer, with those high-low reads, with those half-field high-low reads, getting the ball out quick, like you said. And that may have played a decent role in his immediate success, I think, in the NFL. I really do believe that, Nick. And I still have a lot of faith in Daniel Jones. We obviously know that. But I'm a little concerned with no offseason having an offense that, as quote-unquote, has no carryover in any way, shape, or form. Does that concern you in
3: in any regard? I think the truncated offseason makes me a little bit more concerned but at the same time I didn't expect necessarily a lot of carryover because this is Jason Garrett who was a head coach for you know a ton of years and now he's stepping back down to be off as a coordinator you know I I knew that Jason Garrett was going to just basically wipe Pat Shermer's system off that doesn't mean there's not going to be some quarterback friendly things yes Garrett's system stems from is it? it's an iteration of Don Coryell's passing attack and don coriel was somebody in the 1960s 70s who created a more vertical based passing scheme that has numerical numbers to call play so instead of you know the long verbiage of a west coast offense you have a, a play where it's just like a five-two-five five, f post swing or something like that and that basically tells you what every receiver is going to do like the five is i think a deep comeback a 20 route which would just be the 525 would be the inside receivers route and i want to say the 20 route is just like an in route or a drag and then another five is just a deep comeback and then F post swing is just the f receiver whoever that is the tag receiver in that play runs a post from wherever he is on the field he can be you know in the slot he can be next to the quarterback what have you And the swing is just a swing pass to the other player that is probably a running back of it is going to be a swing so basically the verbiage is a much more simplified way to call plays than a West Coast offense, I would say. We're not really 100% sure how much of Jason Garrett's 2007-2008 offensive coordinator, what he called back in Dallas while he held that title, will come now in 2020 you know there's going to be things that he's picked up with all the offensive coordinators he worked with with Dallas you know with Kellen Moore with Scott Linehan and all these guys so it's going to be interesting to see and I'm I'm not going to say that I'm overly uh I'm more worried about the fact that this whole COVID thing is going to restrict Daniel Jones from getting on field reps and practice reps in a new system that's my biggest worry for sure but I think he could learn this system and you know it's going to be an adjustment period but i do believe it's in his wheelhouse to do that given that he gets the necessary reps which is something that he might not so that's the definitely the uh the worry for me but when it comes to Garrett's offense i, I i'm not surprised that they're uh, wiping it clean because it's a totally different offensive coordinator with a totally different system sure and
1: that, it's not as much surprising for me it's kind of curious if it's going to be a seamless transition for him and if it's not and it's not something where i would you know be blaming Daniel Jones are really quick to rule him out moving forward if he struggles a bit at the beginning of this transition because like you said, COVID related, he's not going to have the same amount of practice time, and he's going to be learning a brand new system, and that system doesn't necessarily fit some of the things he was great at in his rookie year. Now, that doesn't mean those are the only things he can do well in the NFL level. It doesn't even come close to meaning that. That remains to be seen. We're going to find that out with Jason Garrett. Um, obviously bringing in a brand new system with no carryover in any way, shape, or form, but at the same time, it will be interesting to see that transition. I thought what was interesting with regarding that, what Joe judge said is that he believes that they want that their offense will kind of evolve throughout the course of the season. He said, it's going to take shape throughout the season. A lot will change game to game, and they're not going to be rigid with their system. So I thought that was a positive because that's kind of the Joe Judge influence there um, over Garrett, over either side of the ball. And that was something similar to what he said about Patrick Graham and his defense. It's all about mismatches.
3: A lot of things when it comes to just calling offensive plays or calling defensive plays is we're going to, as an offense, you're going to take what the defense is giving you. So you're not going to be rigid. You're not going to be like, okay, we are running a inside zone to the uh to the one hole or something like that and then they show eight men in the box and the crowding the a gap and then you just go and do it no you're, you're obviously going to adapt you're going to make audibles and a lot of these plays in modern nfl even when with these rpos and stuff you have you know run keys you have throw keys and you have things built into your offense to have several options post snap so your quarterback reads a certain defender that defender reacts one way he takes away the first option but guess what that means there's going to be a second option in that defender's area to allow it to be open that's kind of like what the zone read and the rpo game is all about is reading a defender uh reading a run key and a throw key and then reacting that way you see it very common in spread type offenses all throughout college but we even see it in the nfl today it's it's out there now you know and we saw and i can see jason garrett kind of implementing things like that we see doug peterson do it a lot over there with philadelphia a lot of rpos read that overhang defender read that defensive end if he crashes down then you throw it if he stays put or you throw it or you can keep it if you're an athletic quarterback if he stays put then you just hand it off and you take the three or four yards that you're going to get on the ground so uh, a lot of play calls have a lot of multiple things built into them yeah and i think i have enough faith
1: in jason garrett to understand the the things that daniel jones did well and try to work them into his or try to work his system around those things. And I think that could be the case. I mean, in the end, what judge is really saying here is that it's going to be all new terminology and yes, it's going to be, there's going to be different concepts, but at the same time, what he's really meaning in my opinion, or at least in my, or what I think he's meaning when he says no carryover in any way, shape or form is really from a terminology based standpoint.
3: That's what I, uh, that's what I can imagine too, because again, I mean, it's still football, you know, right. the, Pat Shermer's still running, you know, smash concepts and Yankee concepts and, you know, uh, uh, Mills concepts. And those things are kind of universal in a lot of different offenses. Right. And they can be run from different formations. They can have different terminology, but it's still, you know, essentially the same thing. So I'm not going to focus too much on that part. You're still probably going to you're going to see mesh concepts from Jason Garrett offense. Yep. even though it's not something that is prevalent in a, as it is in a West Coast offense. But in the right circumstances, you know, you're going up against man coverage. You want to create traffic in the middle of the field. Yep. You have those two number two receivers on each side just mesh and hopefully creates a natural rub or those two defenders run into each other you have one of those offensive players be a mush player the other one be a mosh player the mush player goes underneath the mesh point the mosh player goes over top they can even slap hands on the way back it's what we taught at uh, <laughs> fdu you know slap hands in practice on the way back just so you guys form that continuity of okay this tag receiver's the under this tag receiver's over so in the game they don't run right into each other which you do see sometimes and it's actually really really funny when that happens
1: we saw that last year with the Giants.
3: Oh, yeah. Yes, we did.
1: Yeah, but that for sure. And I I still think, you know, he's going to be like every other coordinator in the NFL who understands the value and importance of of running those slot vertical routes. I mean, that's where the game is won, in my opinion, in the NFL these days. The the amount of big plays I see coming from the slot vert is just it's it's exponential. It's growing year after year after year. So I still think that's going to be a big part of this game plan and this passing offense.
3: I agree. Slot vert also, I mean, especially the tight end vertical, it's basically like rendering yeah. this too high defense, like cover two kind of defense is almost, you know, obsolete. Yeah. You have both safeties go to the numbers. And then that, once that middle linebacker carries the tight end, you know, 10 yards off then he's past that, you put a nice touch ball right in between that safety and that linebacker. And that's like an automatic 30 yards right there. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting though, man. Like I'm I'm, I'm excited to see how this whole thing comes together. Because I think of giant fans, we're all kind of lockstep and in aligned with everything that Joe Judge is preaching. He's saying all the right things. Hmm. And I think we all feel good about the people who are in place here and now we just got to see if it's going to translate on sunday and it might not initially given you know covid and everything that's going on this truncated off season but i feel like the giants are in good hands with this coaching staff who are all teachers one of them has a one of them's going for a doctorate in education the other one's a princeton grad the other one's a yale grad so you're talking about some really smart people who've been around football for quite a while
1: yeah and i think we'll i think we'll A lot of what we expect from Graham on the defensive side of the ball, we can probably be, we'll we'll probably be pretty close on. And we're going to do a whole podcast breaking down Graham's defense coming up. We probably won't do the same though for Garrett, because like I was just about to say, I feel like that's more of a mystery what we're going to get from Garrett. Like you could, yeah, like you said, you can look at what he did in those early, you know, before the 2010s there in Dallas as the coordinator, but that, It's tough to say based on all the changes that we've seen from NFL offenses and defenses and personnel groupings we're seeing on the field that we're going to see a similar offense during the 2007, 2008, 9, whatever range as we're going to see from the Giants in 2020 now, especially considering everything that he kind of learned that worked with Linehan when he was there. And then obviously more recently with Kellen Moore there in Dallas and some of the things they did well. Um, with more, So I think that it's going to be a combination of all those things. It won't be as easy to see because he was, again, the head coach. He wasn't coordinating the offense for Dallas for a long time.
3: That carries so much more responsibility. And you know what, man? It's probably such a load off of Jason Garrett's mind. Now he's not going to get, you know, phone calls at four in the morning that his star running back is pulling girls shirts off their chests in Cabo mm-hmm. or whatever the hell was going on. He only has to focus on the offense he has one focus and he hasn't had that focus since what oh eight since wade phillips got fired i believe the year was so it's probably just you know gonna have him hone on his craft and he can build this offense around the new york football giants personnel and i'm sure it's not going to be the exact same thing we saw i mean dude the nfl is fast moving think about all the things we've seen since 2008 in the national football league I mean, that was that was four years before RG3 came in. That whole crazy I mean, it's gonna, it's probably gonna be different, but I still think it's gonna have those Coriel type values with that Coriel type terminology. Maybe even some Earhart Perkins kind of um, things working in as well, like how they call plays and how they tag receivers off that. But it's For going sure. to be. To see. for sure. I
1: think that's kind of all th- th- those were the key takeaways I took away from the the, the um, conference call. I'm not sure if you saw anything else. I mean, obviously there's talk about what they're going to do with training camp and Judge talked a little bit about these virtual meetings with the players. I'm not gleaning too much from either of those two things um, you know, wherever they end up having training camp is, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Um, it's more about when they can have it, you know, if the training camp's going to be able to start right away in August like, like it usually does, that is obviously up in the air, um, and like everything that's said, you know, from the positive side about having these these virtual meetings with the players, I, I'm not buying into it. I don't think it's going to be a huge detriment that they're, you know, it is what it is, basically. But I, I'm not buying into too much of the coach speak there. I guess is what I would say. No,
3: it's it's, it's not. But he's not obviously not going to be like, yeah, I don't really know these yeah, guys exactly. at all. You know, the head coach, but whatever. Yeah, I think he he made a comment in the uh, in the release saying that you know, it's cool to see their personalities come out a little bit right. more. And that's something that he's probably just getting his first exposure to with some of these players that he hasn't had extensive talks with. And I'm not sure how these meetings are being held, but maybe it's a little bit more light. Obviously, you know, they, they're they focused on the main goal, but I'm sure that the, the questions are being asked, they can actually showcase their personalities a little bit more. And that's kind of what he's referring to. But yeah, it would be so much better if it was a in person, obviously. But hey, all 32 teams got to deal with that right now.
1: Yep, it's not just the Giants. Keep that. Everyone should definitely keep that in mind and definitely keep that in perspective. All right, Nick, let's talk a little bit about the undrafted rookie free agents we haven't get to, and the way which we haven't gotten to. And the way I want to go about this, Nick is by starting with the players who the giants offered the biggest guarantees to, because those are the players the giants are counting on the most to make this roster. And six really stood out from that standpoint. We'll start with the man who made the most money as an undrafted rookie for agent signing from the giants. And that's offensive lineman, Kyle Murphy out of Rhode Island. He made uh $97,000 in signing bonus from the giant or $85,000 base, $12,000 signing bonus. That was the biggest, Total there, he's a guy who played offensive tackle at Rhode Island, but is believed to, you know, be someone who likely will have to kick inside. Is he someone who could sneakily compete for the center job with the Giants? Where are they at with Kyle Murphy? Have you had a chance to look at him, and what are your thoughts?
3: One of my fellow writers at Big Blue View, Joe DeLeon, he was the long snapper for Rhode Island. So, what, right when the, and we talked before the draft about Kyle Murphy, and uh, he was like, yeah, he, he's somebody who might be a late day three pick. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. And then when the Giants drafted him, he was the first person I went to, and he was like, dude, this kid is, you know, great, A, you know, team captain, incredibly versatile, a leader. He has the size, he's about, you know, a little bit. Uh, just about 6'3", 316 pounds. It's 33 and 7 eighth inch arms. And he's just like an overall great kid. And then I looked and it was like, and Joe told me this too. He was like, he played... Uh, what 10 games at left tackle one at center in his junior season. And uh, just he's played all along the line. He has experience at guard as well. So that makes me look at the depth chart. And I'm just like, hmm, the Giants really wanted this guy. They invested in this guy. And this guy was projected to be drafted. He didn't. And they're able to land him. I think this guy can realistically crack this roster and kind of be that backup to Nick Gates, along with Shane Lemieux as a swing interior offensive lineman with potential to play tackle, but he's probably not going to be tall enough to do that in the NFL. I mean, he's sub 34 inch arms, which isn't ideal, but he more projects to be that interior offensive lineman. Didn't really get to see a lot of his tape just because it's really hard to find some Rhode Island Island, tape. (laughs) Yeah. Rhode Island is a smaller school for those of you who didn't know, but I mean, He was down at the Senior Bowl, and I remember seeing him. I was like, oh, we have a Rhode Island kid down here. That's cool. And he held his own. I never saw him on the ground or doing anything that was overly bad or anything. So I didn't really pay much attention to him. I was more focused on the edge rushers and things along those lines. But everything I hear is good about this kid. The Giants really wanted him, and I honestly think he can earn a spot on this roster as an interior offensive lineman swing. I mean, what did Joe Judge, what did Dave him, what have they been preaching They've been preaching versatility. We want players who can play multiple positions so we can get the best five guys out there to compete. We've seen this so many times in the past where players will come in, they'll get injured, and then it's like, oh, shit, what do we do? Who can we put in this position? Okay, let's move this guy who's never really done that before into that position, and hopefully it works out. And you know what? Usually it doesn't. But now someone like Kyle Murphy has a lot of experience all over the line, and he was uh, obviously a true team leader there for... For the Rhode Island Rams, so I um, I really like the fact that they landed him because I think he's a player who can actually stick on this roster this season, and I don't even think they would want to try to move him to the practice squad. So I think that's going to be yeah. something that w- could be something that we really pay attention to when it comes to Murphy because if if he if they want to cut him, he has to pass waivers. I don't think he I don't think he would I don't think he'd pass waivers.
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, this guy has experience. He played center earlier in his career at Rhode Island. Has played all the positions there. Like you said, team captain, that's obviously big and important for this Giants team, without a doubt. Um, And what I've seen from him has been limited clips, but a couple guys have posted some clips online. He seems to move really well for somebody his size as well, athletic player in space, and that's something that this— Offensive line needs for sure, and I just love the idea of bringing in more offensive linemen to develop. So he's someone obviously we're keeping an eye on. How about the second guy who they paid the second most money to, and that's Austin Mack, the receiver out of Ohio State. Really interesting prospect. I believe he was a former four-star recruit. Didn't totally work out for him there uh, in Ohio State, but he was a real he was good at times. So he 6'2", 215 pounds, ran that four-five-nine forty. That kind of killed his stock to some extent, but I think he's. I think when I watch him play from what I've seen, he has really good body control. And that's something that's really important. And you can't teach these receivers. And often at all oftentimes it allows them to stand out at the next level. What do you make of Mac when you've gotten a chance to watch him?
3: I actually really like Mac. I think his body control, his strength at the catch point through traffic and through yeah. contact are things that really just kind of pop out on film. I was actually watching film on him uh recently. I want to say it was last night, and uh he was just he would just come up with Really big catches on comeback routes or routes over the middle of the field, absorb a huge hit, and just hold on to the ball. He has 10-inch hands, which are pretty damn big hands, that he jumps up, he plucks the ball out of the air, doesn't seem to have an issue. He'll have his occasional concentration type of drops. I don't see somebody who is going to excel as a... Uh, somebody who can create separation through his athletic ability but he seemed to be a nuanced route runner and he was another one who was down at the senior bowl who showed that you know he really his vertical stem looks the same as basically every other um he doesn't kind of give you a tip of what break he's going to do, whether it be outside, inside, post route. It's just straight and it's pretty fast. It's quick off the line of scrimmage and then he's able to sink his hips really quickly and explode off the break. So I really like how he kind of breaks in his speed in and out of routes and I do think his double move is pretty nasty too, which he flashed. So I think he can definitely be somebody because the Giants didn't invest in the wide receiver position like we kind of thought they would later. That could really crack this roster. We don't know the long-term standing of Golden Tate with this team. Sterling Shepard literally is one big hit away from you know we, we're not sure and that's something that's very concerning so you're kind of left with Darius Slayton and I think this Austin Mack he can come in here six foot one 208 pounds he has the size he has a solid catch radius too not as uh big as his A Buckeye counterpart who's on the Giants, Benjamin Victor, who has like a Brendan Ayuk-esque kind of catch radius. It's actually really ridiculous, but he's very, very thin. But no, Austin Mack, man, I'm I'm actually really excited for uh, his ability to crack this roster. I don't really know how he is on special teams and his production, 27 catches for 361 yards and three touchdowns this past season isn't great. I want to say he was dealing with an injury. Yeah, he never had a 100-yard game at Ohio State, so it definitely was kind of a letdown when he went there but i do think uh, the giants got a solid player here who has the nuance and the uh, strength at the catch point that you want in a uh, kind of a possession type of a receiver but he's not those kind of burners that uh that a lot of people are looking for these days guys looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds get to blue chew.com blue com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's bluechew.com promo code BLUEWIRE. Get it, and enjoy. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino, to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, American Idol, Big Brother, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline your online wagering solution.
1: Yeah, and I'm intrigued by all these players that they sign that are from big programs, didn't exactly get a chance to play at those big programs, didn't have the opportunity, but obviously have the talent. And I think that that could be something, it could be a scenario where that talent shines in a a better scenario for them with more opportunity. And like you said, this wide receiver room is ripe with opportunity. There are guys here who are, maybe not long-term solution, someone like Golden Tate. And it's really the bottom half of this wide receiver depth chart is pretty thin. And there's room for players like Mac to break through. So he's him and Murphy are the two most intriguing, not just because they paid them the most. These are the two most intriguing guys for me, I would say. But the third guy they paid the uh, third most to was uh, running back Javon Leak out of Maryland. I have a couple friends who are Maryland fans. This guy is a lightning bug. Ju- has a lot of juice, this type of back. Maybe he is ultimately just a special teams player for the Giants, but if he can add juice to that return game, it's well worth it. And I think he's got a little bit more untapped potential as an actual back, especially potentially as a receiver, maybe for a while, Jason Garrett in Dallas had a guy named Lance Dunbar before injuries kind of derailed his career. A little back with juice, who didn't get that much, who didn't touch the ball that much, but when he did, he put it, he he put in big plays. And and Leak is a guy who had a touchdown on twelve percent of his touches at, at Maryland. Obviously, he didn't get that many touches, but you know, somebody
3: with a lot of juice, I'm definitely intrigued by him. What do you make of Leak? Yeah, he was playing behind Anthony McFarlane, who was a, uh, I want to say he fell to like the seventh round, which is yeah. kind of ridiculous because he was another really explosive back. When it comes to the skill position players, I think Javon Leek might be the one that I am most uh, intrigued by because he could realistically step in and be the kick returner of the future for the giant. He made first team all big 10 as a kick returner and he ran a four, six, five at the combine. That's why he fell. But when you turn on his tape, you do not see a four-six-five player. There's a reason this guy averaged 7.2 yards per carry last year, 9.1 in 2018, and then 11 yards per carry. Granted, it was only on nine carries in 2017. You give this guy a little sliver of a crease, he's going to hit that hole, and he can accelerate past linebackers, safeties, corners, what have you. So he's just an electric Player to watch. I mean, just go go to YouTube. There's plenty of games that you can see of him, and then you can also look at the highlights if you want to. And you're gonna, you're, your eyes are gonna be open to him. He definitely looks more like a four, four, five kind of player. And if he ran that at the combine, he I can assure you he would have been drafted but like dan and i have talked about that combine was weird this year man a lot of players were dehydrated these guys woke up what 15 hours before 15 16 hours before they had to. it didn't really make a lot of sense when it comes to maximizing the athlete's athletic ability which should be what the combine is all about but instead they went towards the okay we need to maximize our gains from when it comes to media coverage and that's kind of what it was all about so if leak was able to run that you know four four five four four six what have you he would have Certainly been drafted, and he obviously didn't get that opportunity. He ran a four six five, and the Giants are the benefits of that. I, I think he can crack this team as a special teamer and maybe even somebody who can spell Saquon Barkley. I mean, let's think. The Giants went into Foxborough last year with John Hilleman as their starting running back. As a workhorse, essentially. So this team has Deion Lewis. And now you have Javon Leak, somebody who can come in, and I don't think he's ready to be a starter or anything like that, but he's somebody who you can put back there, run a little bit of 20 personnel, two running backs, go into the flats, maybe do something uh, creative with the running backs. I, I think it's uh, you know, two very electric players with him and obviously Saquon Barkley, who is um, you know, unworldly. I was really excited. I'll say when when I heard the Giants land a leaks, I remember him pre-draft and I remember thinking like, oh, this guy is electric. He'll be drafted probably somewhere on day three. He wasn't in the Giants. Giants land an explosive player here who can hopefully take some kicks back <laughs> on his yep. Joe Judge coach special teams.
1: They need they still need a return guy. So it's definitely interesting. And then there's Derek Dillon, who they paid the fourth most money to wide receiver out of LSU. Five eleven one eighty six. People might remember him for that 71-yard touchdown he had against Auburn uh, back in 2018. But he's a guy who didn't get invited to the combine, right? Didn't have, you know, wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl, so we didn't get a chance to kind of see what he can do. Again, a a guy who didn't really have the opportunity at LSU, but ran that 4:29 40-yard dash. At his pro day. Obviously, that might be a little bit exaggerated. Who knows? But having said that, when you watch him, the speed is obviously there. It's an element this wide receiver corpse does not really have with the Giants. Slayton has it to some degree, but not quite at that type of level, that 4 9 range. Corey Coleman Maybe, but again, injuries have really started to take a toll on him. Who knows if he's the same 4 3 uh, route runner, you know, 4 3 receiver he was when he came to the draft. So I'm intrigued by the fact that he adds a speed element to
3: the Giants for sure. When you're buried on the depth chart behind Jamar Chase. Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, yeah. you're you're probably not going to see the field that much. I mean, Derek Dillon, I want to say Terrence Marshall got hurt midseason. He ended up kind of earning that 11 personnel role. And uh, he had 15 catches for 202 yards, two touchdowns this past year. But again, he was buried on that depth chart. But he is an explosive athlete, and you can see that highlight against Auburn. You'll definitely recognize it. If you turn on his tape, you won't see him flash too often because he wasn't really utilized in that offense because he was playing with a top five pick next year and a top 25 pick this year uh, with Joe burrow but i think he um you know he has like a lot of these guys they have uphill climbs to crack the roster but dylan has that trump card that you and i talk about those trump cards that you want to take risks on he has that explosive speed the team really does not possess a player like this at the wide receiver position so if he can come into training camp have his head on a swivel learn this offense and be a deep vertical threat to kind of open up things underneath derek dylan might be sitting pretty to try to crack that 55 man roster
1: yeah, he's someone who I'm definitely intrigued by as well. And then then there's Benjamin Victor, the guy who they paid the fifth most guaranteed to. And he's another interesting prospect to me, another Ohio State wide receiver. We, interesting body type, 6'4", 200 pounds. You would think a guy like that who's light but, but lengthy would have a better 40 time. He had a four six. That's probably what dropped him. But another guy, four star recruit, um, you know, has the height, was definitely a player they utilize in the red zone. He scored a lot of touchdowns there with Ohio State. Maybe the Giants team in a similar niche role. We've talked a lot before about how Jason Garrett wants height and size uh, for this offense. So what do you make of him? Is he someone who could crack the roster?
3: Uh, again, uphill climb, I would say, yeah. but he's six foot three, uh, 198 pounds is what I have. This dude is incredibly lanky, but when you look at him, he's got spider legs. For arms, so they're essentially incredibly long and incredibly skinny. So I do question his ability to, you know, get off press, and all the play strength questions are going to come in when when you look at Benjamin Victor, just because his frame is really really slight for an NFL receiver. But the thing that is intriguing, man, like I mentioned before, is that catch radius. He has 34 and 1/8 inch arms, and his wingspan is 81 and a half inches. For perspective, man, that's longer actually than Brendan Ayuk's. And Brendan Ayuk had an incredible wingspan, was drafted by the 49ers. So you're talking about, I don't have the numbers of mock draftable in front of me, but he's probably in the 95th percentile for arm length at the receiver position, if not more. He could be at the 99th. And that's very, very important in jump ball situations, but... In those situations, you need to be able to fight through contact and be an absolute dog in those situations. At 198 pounds, it's going to be very hard when you're going up against really physical cornerbacks. So that's definitely a concern, but he can add some weight. He can add some strength and hopefully not infringe on his speed. I didn't think he was a 4'6". I thought he was a little bit faster than that on tape, but I still don't see a burner. So the Giants went out. They paid all three of these receivers You know, top five money in the uh, undrafted free agency pool. So they're going to have them all compete, and all three of them, can do different things for you. I think, Victor, you know, in that, if he adds some strength, and be that jump ball receiver, you know, vertical threat when it comes to just kind of being a big-body receiver like Dez Bryant was. Obviously, he's nowhere near Dez Bryant, not comparing him, but just for reference. Austin Max a little bit more of a possession receiver, technician, whereas Derek Dillon is that speed element. So I think it's interesting to see how the Giants are going to kind of, uh, which one of these guys can make the roster. And also, you got to think, uh, how Cor- uh, Corey Coleman going to play into this, too? Because, I mean, you have yeah. the three receivers locked in, so... Corey Coleman, can he be healthy enough to kind of uh, recapture that first round uh, talent that he was uh, projected as coming out of Baylor? But all the injuries have kind of taken his toll there. But Victor, he's interesting, but he definitely has an uphill climb.
1: Yeah. And then those were the guys they paid the most. They also paid Case Cook. Is it Cookus or Cookus, Nick? I think it's Cookus. Yeah, Pace Keku's quarterback, uh, interesting lower guy out of northern Arizona, but that, you know, they paid him a decent chunk. But with the Cooper Rush signing, I think that's going to kind of seal his fate, um, unfortunately, for him. And, he'll, you know, he'll be a camp party. He'll be a live arm, but no one who I think is going to really break through. Are, are You see that any differently?
3: No, I 100% agree, but Kukus, man, he can rip it. He He no, has— he he can rip it. He has velocity on his on his balls, man. So it's uh he has an impressive arm for sure. but the quarterback room is already crowded right now. so it's he's too like- crowded,
1: I think. yeah. so I, I, I so for him, he doesn't stand out as much for me by any means. But there's a couple of other interesting guys. um the guy whose name I can never pronounce when i when I go back in this Ola Olawali batiko, B- 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 is it Olawali batiko the edge? Olawali batuku Batuku yeah transferred from usc to to illinois but he, tra- he had nine sacks after transferring six three two fifty four seven um and he's kind of new to the game but he was a five-star recruit at usc and he's someone who i think is really interesting moving forward just because again we're looking for guys that can play like specific roles for the giants and especially at the you know on the edge there's going to be guys rotating in and out different downs and distances so i'm a little bit intrigued by him he's probably probably the guy I would say I'm most intrigued by are the guys we haven't mentioned. How about for you? Who else
3: has really stood out to you from their other undrafted free agent signings? So I like Batuku because he's relatively new to playing football. His family emigrated to America from Nigeria in his sophomore year of high school. And then in, like, in his first two years playing the sport, like everyone just kind of flocked to him because he had the size and he was an explosive player. And I saw an explosive player on tape. I saw someone who can convert speed to power. So those are kind of foundational pass rushing traits that you look for and you say, okay, you can work with a lot of the other things. Now he is uh, relatively raw just because he doesn't have that much playing, playing experience because he dealt with an injury i want to say he injured his hip at usc before he transferred to illinois so i'm actually really intrigued because he has that size that you're looking for he has those athletic components now he's not somebody who's going to bend the edge like crazy or anything like that but he does have you know a good first step something that you're looking for out of these undrafted free agents and uh he has the pedigree of just being a five-star recruit which is something that these teams do look for because he, he once had A lot of people looking at him. He captured a lot of people and he earned that five star pedigree. What happened in college to kind of slow him down, whether it be coaching staff not maximizing him or him just not meshing with the uh, scheme fit, or it could just be an injury, which he dealt with. So, and I know a lot of at Illinois, I want to say he was, you know, used a lot when uh, slanting and, uh, Slanting inside and things like that. It wasn't as traditional as some of the other defenses, but uh, I mean, 13 tackles for a loss, nine sacks. I mean, in 10 games too, because he missed three games for yeah. an ankle injury. So that's uh, something that you can't really just bat your eyes at. But uh, so my favorite defensive player, I think, uh, between it's between Batuku and this one, and that's Dominique Ross, a linebacker from North Carolina. Dude, he's uh he's a versatile and he's tough and he's smart and he can yeah. hit man. And you know what he, I don't know his 10-yard split but I would imagine that it's it's good because he can he has this quick acceleration right before he's hit somebody to make a tackle. It's uh his closing burst is really evident on film and uh I mean he was used in such a creative manner which I really think he's going to make the team and I would not be surprised if he made the team over TJ Brunson and Tay Crowder. I mean he lined up uh, according to Pro Football Focus For the Tar Heels 328 times as a slot corner 185 times on the defensive line and 162 times in the box. And This is a linebacker that we're talking about and he's somebody who seemed uh, well versed to play man coverage in the short to intermediate which is what you're looking for from a linebacker has good athletic ability. I was just impressed by the, the little bit of film that I did end up seeing from him. I don't know if he has the, uh, the mentals as they say of a TJ Brunson within the box. I didn't really get a, a sense of uh, whether he was positive or negative in that light, but I saw an explosive athlete at the second level who can do a lot of different things. And if that's not Patrick Graham, I don't really know what is
1: right. Definitely a player. I'm gonna have to take a, look, a deeper look into Then Nick. I'm very excited now to kind of dive in there.
3: Yeah, he's he's an interesting watch. I think Dana Levine is uh yep. the kid from Temple, the edge rusher. He's six foot four, two hundred and thirty five pounds. Fell out of the draft. And that, that's going to happen sometimes. But uh, he's definitely a chirper. I'll tell you that much. Because just watching his film, he was always in a tackle's face chirping. And uh, he definitely has that kind of chip on his shoulder. But He's another one who can convert speed to pallet, power. Has solid bend around the corner. His athletic ability, it's pretty good. He's a twitched up kind of athlete. Against the run, it's not always there. He can get bullied and stuff like that. So he definitely has some things that he can work on. I mean, he's a little bit lighter for an edge player. But somebody who's definitely moldable. So I, I think those between those three players... Uh, Batuku, Levine, and Dominique Ross. They're, uh, they they got some good undrafted free agents who realistically can compete for this roster. And yeah, Dana Levine's an
1: interesting guy to me. I've, I've seen the clip of him sacking Daniel Jones from a year ago. Really explode, showed a lot of his explosiveness, I thought, on that clip. But then I watched a little more, and I still saw that. And I'm, and I'm normally looking at a guy like this, 6'3", 235, you know, 482. Not super athletic. I'm, this guy will never make the NFL. But in Patrick Graham's defense with Joe Judge, it's going to be a defense where these guys off the edge are really used in very unique roles based on the down and distance and aren't going to be asked, you know, they're not going to need Dana Levine to set the edge. He's not going to ever be used in that role. So for guys like this, nickel passing down defenders just get as much of these guys as possible off the edge see what happens see what sticks you're gonna have a chance to get guys who can potentially bring pressure on those key passing downs and they don't need to be on the field every down they can be on the field for some downs and i think that could be the case with somebody like levine and some and you know obviously some of the guys they've drafted and they've brought in via free agency kyler fackrell guys that we've talked about before but i think it's going to be a really interesting defense um and i think a guy like levine would normally not have a shot to make this roster but now really does have a chance
3: yeah and um uh, when you think about like like you were just saying with players uh like levine and joe judge has kind of uh, alluded to how they don't have this blue uh blue goose pass uh rushers what dave Gettleman says right but they're looking for a fresh rotation of players who know how to like you know maintain the continuity of the defense he can definitely become that on in those nickel packages in those third and longs where he can just pin his ears back use that first step that explosiveness to kind of just go forward and hopefully get around a tackle or just be disruptive to the uh, quarterback which is something that uh he has in his wheelhouse but it's interesting man it's interesting definitely other players though, man there 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 are some other ones here that are uh That kind of caught my eye and the one in particular from Simon Fraser. So this, he's from north of the border. He's from Canada, but it's Rice and John. And then this dude, he was a wide receiver at Simon Fraser, but they're going to try him out at Tight end, and he was down there at the College Gridiron Showcase and the Hula Bowl. He's six foot seven, two hundred and thirty five pounds. He was a biscuit away from being a tight end. Ate all the biscuits. Now he's a tight end. Grew a couple inches too. Man, six foot seven is gigantic. And you know, I could not find much Simon Fraser film, but I, I've heard a lot of good things from people north of the border when it comes to him. We'll see if he can crack the roster. Obviously, he has a a really uphill climb, but just that sheer size—if he has any kind of athletic ability—it's going to be really impressive. And then there's another player that, uh, I don't know, have you ever heard of the NFL International Player Pathway Program? I have not. Yeah, it was instituted in uh, 2017 and aims to provide international athletes an opportunity to compete at the NFL levels, prove their skills, and ultimately earn a roster spot. And I'm reading it verbatim. I just don't memorize those kind of things. But basically, they award international players to the 90-man roster to see if they can crack the roster from NFL Europe. I guess it's a way to kind of cross-promote. So there is a player, Sandro Platzgummer. A running back from uh, from the uh, what team? He played for the Raiders out there in the German Football League. I don't know. Uh, I don't even remember what city these Raiders were based out of. But he was a he's an interesting player. I don't know if he actually has the athletic ability to crack the roster. But he was somebody who had 15 total touchdowns out there for the Swarco Raiders, and he's not even on the depth chart when I looked. But I went to Giants.com, and they had him there, and I just thought it was interesting. The Giants were awarded one of these players from Austria. I think I would throw his name out there. It'll be
1: a long shot. Let's see if he can stick. I like that. I like that call, Nick.
3: Very very long shot. A lot of these guys to me, like I don't want to. I'm not gonna put you on the spot, but if I had to pick three dudes who can realistically crack this, like say 55 man roster, and that's a lot, man. Three undrafted free agents cracking the roster, sure. but you see that you do. I would probably go with Kyle Murphy. I think I think Javon Leak, and then. Yeah. One of the receivers, Austin Mack. But I honestly, man, I I do think the the linebacker from North Carolina, Dominique Ross, uh, will end up cracking the roster, too. Interesting.
1: I like that call. Hybrid player, so I could totally see it. He was using a hybrid role. It makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of intrigue here. There really is. Um, And I probably, if I was put on the spot, I'd probably go with a similar three. For sure, Murphy, I think, has a really good chance, but I don't even think he has the best chance. I think the best chance are the special teams guys. Dylan, Dylan or Leak, to me, probably has the best chance just because of what they could do on special teams. And Mack, to me, is definitely really intriguing, most intriguing, for sure, out of all the wide receivers from what I've seen.
3: Yeah, I mean, Mack is uh, definitely somebody who has that that crisp route running, man, and that's something that these NFL teams look for. They want these players to know how to run routes I mean, right. they could teach they could teach players how to run routes, obviously, in the NFL. But if they come to the NFL with that understanding and they're crafty in the sense of how to kind of create separation in zone and even man coverage at the top of breaks and things like that. Because there's a lot of different things you could do to kind of create separation, even in man coverage, without just your athletic ability at the top of breaks, things like that. I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the podcast. You know, you could hit the dude with the little hip sync flipper with the outside arm to just create that subtle uh, separation that will never be called because it's not a full extension. That's kind of what they look for for the offensive uh, pass interference the opi is that full extension but if you have somebody in your hip pocket you just hit them with a quick elbow to the uh, breastplate little nudge it's gonna stop their momentum Hmm. you break inside that's automatic separation right there those little tricks to playing the wide receiver position that austin max seemed to have especially in his double moves that i saw i saw a couple really nice ones where i was like okay, he fully like sunk his hips shoulders went down got that cornerback to just get his momentum to go straight forward and then he just exploded up and I like that fact that he's able to do that with his body but still like I said he's an undrafted guy so not all these guys should be crowned to the Hall of Fame let's just hope some of these guys can crack the roster and with the wide receivers I mean there could be there could definitely be some opportunity here if somebody goes down with an injury and then we don't know the longevity of Golden Tate on this roster so there could be some spots to be held if some of these guys really break out like Darius Slayton did as a day three pick last year
1: No doubt about it, Nick. No doubt about it. All right, Nick. Anybody else you want to touch on with the undrafted free agents?
3: Uh, I guess we'll just go through the uh, names of the players. Uh, Sure. So... All the undrafted free agents, there was 15 of them. So we got Case Koukis, who we talked about, quarterback, Northern Arizona. Javon Leak, running back, Maryland. Derek Dillon, wide receiver, LSU. Austin Mack, wide receiver, Ohio State. Benjamin Victor, wide receiver, Ohio State. Rice and John, wide receiver, going to be tight end. Simon Fraser University from yeah. Canada. Kyle Markway, a tight end from South Carolina. Tyler Haycraft, an offensive lineman from Louisville, played tackle. He was the opposite tackle to... Uh, Mikai Becton, and he probably projects as a guard. I would say. Yeah, I think he's, he could be interesting player
1: to move inside Haycraft. Actually,
3: yeah, he's a physical guy. He's definitely yeah. a physical brute guy. Some, one of those. Uh, that's what the Giants are kind of looking for. They wanted to get really tough within the trenches, and then obviously Kyle Murphy from uh, Rhode Island. And then you had Nico Lelos, an outside linebacker from Dartmouth, who's basically like more of an edge, I would say, because he's like 264 pounds. He's not going to be playing uh, outside, the traditional outside linebacker for the New York Giants. So he's more of like that five technique. He would probably fit into the defensive line rotation if he were to crack the roster. got Dominique Ross, Dana Levine, and then Jaquarius LeAndrews from Mississippi State. He was a safety there. He was a longer safety, kind of thin. I turned on his tape. I wasn't uh, overly impressed with his physicality. Seemed to get dragged around at the tackle point, things along those lines. Definitely has an uphill uh, battle to make this roster as well. Christian Angelo as a defensive back from Hampton. He uh, was interesting because he signed with Cincinnati, and he was with Cincinnati for a while. Uh, I want to say it was maybe a season, and then he transferred to Hampton, so he was a a uh, power five player for a while, and then he transferred to the smaller Hampton, and he was a good uh, cornerback down there, but again, the level of competition is... is it's very hard to kind of judge, but by all counts, he's a good athlete, and he has NFL size. So that's something that you're definitely looking for. And then there's Malcolm Elmore, a defensive back from Central Methodist. And he is 5'11", 185 pounds, had 11 passes defense in 2018 for the Eagles in the NAIA conference. And he was also a scholar athlete, so he obviously has the brains, which is something that this team seems to really want to uh, invest in, these smart players.
1: You know, a lot of resources have been poured into guys like this smart players who they can can be versatile, potentially, you know, former team captain types, all those type of guys. It's a different type of roster they're moving forward with. Definitely intrigued by a lot of these guys. And we'll see what we'll see what it we'll see where this moves heading forward with the truncated offseason and everything else. It's going to make things obviously a bit a bit tougher for, um, you know, for people for, for some of these guys to make the roster, but we'll see. I think the special teams aces will definitely stand out. But on that note, everyone, thanks again for tuning in. We've got more. Big Blue Panther content coming for you. We're going to do a big podcast breaking down what we expect to see from Patrick Graham's defense, especially based on a lot of the quotes we've been reading, and it really seems like we have it. We feel like we have a solid grip on what this off uh, defense can be. Um, Before we sign off, do want to give a shout-out to some people who have been leaving five-star reviews. Thank you, JC from Florida, who says... I love Big Blue Banter. Dan and Nick, shout out to you guys. I'm so happy that I've found Big Blue Banter. I'm a diehard Giants fan. I've listened to all the pods out there, and you guys have the best content on the Giants. Really happy I've found you guys. I'm an ER doctor in Florida, and being able to meet guys has really helped me cope during these tough and crazy times. Well, I just wanted to say, J.C. Frank, thanks a lot for that comment. We're happy. Like Honestly, that's the best. So far, it's the best review we've read. The fact that we're making your life a little bit more enjoyable, a little bit better. I can't even imagine... What your life is like right now as an ER doctor, or as any doctor, any, any of our frontline workers, like I can talk about trying to imagine what it's like. I have no idea what it's like for you guys. And all I know is that it's a lot harder than it is for me and Nick, who are studying film on football players and, and you know, doing work about the NFL here. We like it. We put our, our blood and sweat and tears into this. We love this stuff. I shouldn't say blood, but we put our, you know, our sweat and, and hard work into this for sure. And we do enjoy it. But at the same time, you guys do on the front line. So thank you for that review and really, really appreciate it. And we're really happy that we're, you know, making your life a little bit better. So on that note, everyone, thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon.